Hi, you're listening to the MacMufasa.com interview series. I'm your host, David Ritter. In this edition, I'm interviewing Mike Lombardo. Undoubtedly the nicest musician on the planet, Mike is known for his piano rock tunes and his intelligent songwriting. Mike graduated from the highly prestigious Berkeley College of Music with a degree in songwriting. I caught up with Mike literally just minutes from loading the van up and setting off for his tour. Join me as I interview musician Mike Lombardo. All right, so tell me what's going on in your life right now. Well, I am about to go on tour with a bunch of friends of mine who are also on the same label as I am, uh, All Caps, which are, they're like an electronic geek rock band, and they're actually number one on the electronic charts for iTunes right now. Their new album just came out. Oh, wow. Uh, which is huge for an indie label to be number one. Yeah. Um, and uh, my buddies Alex Carpenter and Jason Monday, who also play geek rock, wizard rock, Star Wars rock, all kinds of geeky topics. And uh, we're going on tour. I think we're doing 19 cities or something like that for the That's next two weeks. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's going to be a blast. It's just obviously a large undertaking. So we're you know trying to make sure that we're not forgetting anything, anything like that. And so, how many months is that going to be? It is well. We're doing. I'll pull up the uh, the schedule right here. We are actually going to be on the road from our first show is tomorrow in New York City, and our last show is the twenty fourth of October in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow! So we're actually doing a show almost every night. Wow! Yeah, that's which crazy. Is, it's it's pretty demanding on on you physically as a performer. You know, to drive six hours and yeah. then set up your own stuff. You don't have roadies, so it's drive, 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 set up, play, break down, drive, drive, drive. So, so have it, you? Have you? Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's, go ahead. Have you have you done that many shows all at once like that before, like in a row? We've done uh, when I I've done some some solo tours with my trio um, or with with my trio in an opening, and uh, that we've done five five or six shows over the course of a week. So we've done maybe two or three shows a week, but this will be the first time that I'm doing a show a night nonstop for three weeks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's going to be crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh and so it's it's you know, you got to keep an eye on, you know, when you're driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour with the music blasting <laughs> to not be screaming to each other at the top of your lungs because you don't realize how loud you're being and then you have no voice. Yeah. And once you once your voice is gone in this situation, it's gone for good. So, yeah. um you, you just, you know, be mindful of that and it also it's harder to eat good because you're you're, you know, eating fast food all the time. Exactly, so yeah. It's it's really you really got to be careful about taking care of yourself or or you get sick. Yeah. Or you know, it's, it's that's no fun. So. No, that's no good. And you have to not do a show or something that that's even worse, so. Yeah, yeah, I hate I hate canceling gigs, but yeah. you know, I like I canceled one in college because I literally couldn't stand up. I was so sick. But other wow. than that, I haven't had to cancel anything, which is good. That's good. That's really good. So, who are some of your influences? Well, this is an interesting question for me because it's not there. There are people I look up to as artists, and then there are people who influence my music. And sometimes there's not a lot of overlap. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, if you listen to me, uh, I'm in the vein of you know Billy Joel, Jamie Collum, Ben Folds, Elton John. That. Right. You know, piano-based pop rock movement, but I wouldn't say that those guys are my influences per se. Uh-huh. Um, I, I I I I like Toto a lot. I like uh, Coheed and Cambria a lot. I like Paul and Storm, and so that's I mean, those are some pretty out of left field yeah. things I think for for the kind of music that I make. Um, but I realize it's because if I say, yeah, Ben Folds is my influence, and all I do is listen to Ben Folds, oh, I'm just going to sound exactly like him, and yeah. that's really not good for you know marketing myself as an artist, right? Um, 
So I, I try to listen to stuff that is far out from what I'm doing as I, as I possibly can and try to bring that back to what I'm doing. And that helps me, you know, not, also not get pigeonholed into a style, but really kind of do some interesting things and keep myself interested in what I'm doing. Uh-huh. That's great. That's great. Do you produce your own music or do you, do you have someone else actually do the, the recording part of it? Uh, I do most of the, if I, if it's something on YouTube, a demo, anything like that, I do mm-hmm. everything. Okay. Um, our new album, Songs for New Day, that just came out in, in June, um, I did all the principal recording. My drummer's name is Andy, uh-huh. uh, and he he and I really take the reins on that. We talk about production of everything, and basically, um, you know, he'll come in, do the drum tracks, and I'll do piano, vocals, synths, strings, whatever I want to do, and then we have a conversation about, is this working, is this fitting in? So we're, we're basically producing ourselves. I mix it myself, and um, my, my label masters it. But it's not it's not mastering in the traditional sense. It's it's basically making sure that the volume playback is consistent. That's, okay. that's, that's about what they do with it. So Yeah. That makes sense. Do you use a PC or Mac when you're doing all the, the stuff for YouTube and anything else? I do all my audio recording on a Mac. Okay. Because, I mean basically unless you're going Pro Tools, it's basically industry standard for most of the software. Right. Uh, and it's also just what I was trained on. And a lot of people battle about which is better. But, I, you know, th- there are tools, whatever is comfortable, I think you should use. But I prefer to use Mac for that because I, I, I use Logic mostly. Um, and uh, all my video stuff I do on PC, I use Vegas. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you pick up uh, the software uh, and the training you did with the with, uh, recording in Berkeley? Or was that stuff you did elsewhere? Uh, they give you a package as part of when you declare your major. Well, actually, everyone that goes into the school gets gets a MacBook, gets basic Logic Express, mm-hmm. gets uh, Contact, gets you know, Finale, I think. And obviously that changes, so that's what it, whatever I got when I was there. Yeah. Um, they, they give the students a current software bundle whenever they start. And then when you declare your major, um, you get a, a, a custom-built bundle of software that they think is best for you for your major. So the film scoring people are going to get something a little different than the, you know, the songwriters, obviously. Yeah. But they give you everything you need to not have to go to a recording studio to demo yourself, especially in, in cities like Nashville. When people say they want a song, you might get six hours. You don't have time to call your buddies, do a session. You've got to be able to think on your feet and be independent. Yeah. So um, they give you all that stuff. And then basically, I think from there, you at least I got an idea of what I can do with what I have and get a feel for what else should I buy, what else do I think I need to get. And I'm yeah. not really a software-heavy guy. I, I really – I don't shy away from it, but I don't put a lot of emphasis on electronic and synthesis and stuff. A lot of guys love samples. I really don't. Uh-huh. So I, I'm basically set with what they gave me. Um, but a lot of guys, you know, especially people that are going into the recording, uh, will, will start, use that as a starting point and then build a, a little, you know, build themselves a rig around uh-huh. that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your best advice for someone interested in doing what you're doing? Um, that's, that's a tricky question because everyone says, you know, I think you should do it. If you want to do it, then do it. Don't let anyone tell you you shouldn't. But right. to be realistic, I think also, you know, and, and giving respect to someone who wants to do what I do, I have to say, look, you know, the industry is not good right now. And you have to be realistic about what, what, not chances, but how, how it is that you're going to make money. And I wish people, I wish people were a little more realistic with me when I said I want to be a musician and just, you know, understanding what's going on in the industry right now, understanding how hard it is to get paid to create music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say make sure that you're, you're doing something where you can pay the bills because if I have a job, 
and then I can go home and do music because I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's much better than having to put out music because you need the money. Right. And that's you know artistically you're screwed at that point. Um, that's your credibility is out the window as an artist. Yeah. And and um, it's it's not fun. It's just not as fun if you have to mix this track at three in the morning and you really don't want to because it's due, rather than getting up at three in the morning with a cool idea mm-hmm. and being inspired to do it. So I would say get yourself financially secure through other means, non-musical means, steady income, and then do music because you like it, and then develop that and grow it. And then, you know, because now we have so little overhead that you can put stuff on Bandcamp or iTunes and have it have it make you money when you're not working on it. So mm-hmm. it's really easy to get income from that. And so it's really easy to kind of grow and just morph into that as you go, rather than starting from, from zero, because that's going to be really tough. Yeah, yeah. So when you said that uh, you wish that someone would have been a little bit more realistic on the financial part of it. Was that, was that when you were in school or was that afterwards or, uh, um, at what time the, period, you know? Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, it's, it's, it was kind of, well, I mean, first of all, my parents have been incredibly supportive, so I gotta, you know, say that they've been great as far as really, I think they just knew like hearing me play as a child, they were just like, he must have to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, they knew that I yeah. wasn't going to be a scientist or something. Yeah. Um, so, even though they knew that maybe that wasn't financially the best route, mm-hmm. um, they knew that that was what I was supposed to be doing. So that's cool. Um, Berkeley, on the other hand, I mean, great school. If you want to go into the music performing business at all, that's where you go. There mm-hmm. is no, not even a close second right now. And the only thing is I, I worked in the admissions office as a tour guide, and mm-hmm. so I know the spiel very well as far as, you know, when people ask about job placement, when people ask about the industry, what are these responses that are supposed to give them? And they're not, they're not dishonest, right. but I would say they're – a little too hopeful. Yeah. Um, Not like know, a realistic type right. of... It's, 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 if you want to be qualified for a job in music, they will qualify you better than anyone else. And they are not lying about that. It's mm-hmm. just having all the qualifications in the world right now will not get you a paycheck. Yeah. It's about finding a job, not being qualified for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those things where you don't find out how things really are until you're actually doing that. You're actually, you know... In, yeah, in the career that you want. The world. Yeah. And I was lucky because I, uh, my second year at Berkeley, I was really getting into Song Fu and Colton and Paul and Storm and really just discovering this whole underbelly of the music industry and how, um, you know, they're doing it through the internet and, and the, the new model, basically, they call it, you know. Yeah. Uh, all the stuff that Jeff and I talk about on our show, just marketing direct to fans, you know, using TuneCore and Bandcamp and all that stuff. And I was just discovering that. And Berkeley didn't put a lot of stress on that, and I, mm-hmm. I don't think they really understand, as as do most people, don't really understand where that's going yet. And right. so a lot of my friends that I graduated with are still doing the local tour circuit thing, building the mailing list, be, be, touring in bigger circles, which works. Uh-huh. But it's just that there's a way to skip that because then if, if they go someplace else, they have no fans. No one's heard of them. Yeah. Um, and so where I'm going, I have a very slow but steady draw everywhere. And so I'm building that up evenly where they're, they're starting from a hot spot, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So with the music industry, you mentioned, you know, it's changing a lot. What direction do you feel like that it's heading right now? Uh, we're seeing a huge struggle from the major labels to maintain control of this model that, that is, is failing. Um, basically, where it comes down to is um, if a girl wants to make a music video for her, I don't know, high school graduation or something, um, and if, if right now, if they take a James Blunt song and put it in there, uh, the major label is going to take your video down. 
Right. And they're going to prevent that from happening. If they want to take a Mike Lombardo Trio song or uh, an All Caps song, uh, you know, or a Skyway Flyer song, an in, in, independent artist, that's encouraged. And mm-hmm. we're thinking, yeah, maybe you didn't pay us 92 cents or whatever the royal six cents, whatever the royalty would be for using that song in your video, which, first of all, I'm not going to charge a 15-year-old girl six cents. That's ridiculous. Right. But, um, you know, her friends, how many people are going to see that and go, oh, gee, I wonder if that music, I wonder if I might like that. And so they may like it, they may not. But our model says as long as you put MikeLombardoMusic.com in your video info, you can use my music. And if people like it, then they know where to find it. And so it's reaching ears that you wouldn't reach otherwise. Yeah, and that's the Creative Commons uh, philosophy, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's basically in a word, Creative Commons. And and also, but I mean, I don't think you need to, to say Creative Commons. That's just one tool to get your music out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's... It's it's basically about treating your your fans as as peers and not as criminals. Yeah, treat them with respect. Exactly. Yeah, that's and you great. have to because I mean th- they're really driving it. It's it's when we go on tour and we're selling T-shirts and posters and whatever we do, you know that's how we pay our expenses. I mean we have these posters and the posters are literally paying for the the, the rental van. Right. And so you can't ask people to give you money for that type of thing and disrespect them at the same time. I mean you got to really you know we are absolutely grateful that they left their house came to the show sat there sang along with the music took home the cd at the end of the day i mean we love that and yeah. so um i understand where if you're a huge huge artist it can be a drag to sign hours for you know hours and hours of autographs after the show i understand obviously that no that's not fun but um i mean i for one i absolutely love it and i i encourage my peers they they all love it too all the guys that i'm touring with love doing that i mean we really love hearing from these fans and hearing their stories and talking to them because, I mean, it's really without them we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. Yeah, you almost have to do that. I mean, if you don't, it, it's, it, it could really crush people, you know? They... Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, financially, we're screwed. And also, I was talking to a fan at a show I just played in Cleveland last week about how, you know, maybe and, – and, okay, I don't look at myself and say people know who I am. I'm a big deal, obviously. I mean, I don't think I'm much of anything – you know, compared to these monsters that are out there, just uh-huh. huge, huge, huge artists. But, but there are people. Even though I think it's strange to me, there are people who th- really look up to me and really are, get excited to hear me play and really, you know, think that I'm someone of, of I don't know, uh, you know, some level of, of recognition. And so, even though I think that's strange, I have to keep that in perspective and think, wow, do you remember the first time Jonathan Colton talked to you? You know, he spent 30 seconds out of his day and that made my week. And yeah. so I've got to remember being on the other side of that, even though I think it's strange, remember how that felt and try to give that out when I can, because it's the difference between making someone's week and having them be really disappointed in me. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's really cool. Do you have any other interests outside of music? Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big physics geek. Okay. Uh, my brother my brother's actually a physicist, so um he's he's now beyond the level where I can have an intelligent conversation with him because <laughs> I don't understand what he's saying anymore. Uh-huh. But um I do love reading about physics. Um, I'm a pretty big gamer. I I actually don't have time to game that much, but uh-huh. I I do build my own gaming PCs and I when I get a spare hour, I like to play some uh, Mirror's Edge or Half-Life 2 or something like that. Uh-huh. Um and I, I like movies. I love watching movies. Um, you know, and all these things are art, obviously. Of I mean, course, yeah. I mean, I mean, Ebert would beg to differ, but, but <laughs> there, there are some just beautiful, beautiful games and fantastic movies. And uh, I, I'm really into storytelling in general. And anyone that listens to my music will pick up on there's a heavy story character element to it, you know. So I, I love stories, basically. Yeah, yeah I read uh, yesterday or today that, that games are uh, 
today's comic books. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, I would agree, especially with stuff like um, like Max Payne, Max Payne Two. Yeah, those are my favorite, and they're they're so just visual, and I mean, telling the story through literally comic cartoon panels. Yeah, um, it's it's brilliant, and they're so well written and so well scored and very cinematic. And you know, even when Tomb Raider came out in, in 1996. That was they, they had these sweeping camera moves and an orchestral score, and no one had done that before. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's really a, a, a new form that's coming out. There's actually a, a video game music major at Berkeley now. Oh, is it really? Yeah, and you can major in that. And again, that's, it didn't exist 20 years ago. That was not a field. That's crazy. And now it's a huge field. And so obviously that's very tech-heavy because you can't hire an orchestra. They yeah. don't have the budget. So it's you and your laptop. Yeah. You know, so you really got to know what you're doing to do that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting is a movie has maybe an hour of music. Um, a game could have easily 10 hours of music, 15 hours of music. Yeah, so, much, um, much, much more. And it's not, you know, it's not scripted. It's whatever the player's doing. The music has got to fit and change to that. So that's... Yeah, it's like I organic. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, it's very organic. But, I mean, I remember talking to Marty O'Donnell, who who did the, the Halo music. I saw an interview with him. He was saying how there's triggers, and if they leave the battle... They have to bring this other type of music, and then if, if an enemy sees them, they have to bring this type of music in. Uh-huh. And so it's very dynamic, and I don't know a lot about it, but uh, that is, you know, as far as the future of music, I'd say that's going to be a big part of it. Yeah. Is this d- dynamic element of it. That's very interesting. Yeah, an, an interactive element to it. Very, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Do you ever put any, any like, hidden messages or meanings in your songs? Uh, I, I don't think like, not like, uh, the Paul is dead, stairway to heaven nonsense, but, um, there are some, some little things in there that I kind of just throw in, um, partly, partly it's for me. Some of it's like a watermark, you know, when they make, they make maps, they put on a little town sometimes it's called a paper town. That's, that's not actually a city and it's basically a copyright. Okay. So the map maker can tell if anyone copied their map. Huh. Yeah. Um, John Green has a book about him actually called Paper Town. But um, I I, t- I throw in some little there's some little acronyms and some some strange turns of phrase that maybe wouldn't be exactly the way you'd say it but uh-huh. comes from a situation or something someone said to me or based off a lyric of one of my friends and uh, also and I don't know if I've actually said this anywhere but uh, there's obviously there's a lot of characters in my songs and throughout throughout the course of my albums there is kind of a bigger like a mike lombardi universe that uh-huh. all these characters really fit into yeah and so they're all connected and the girl from this song is the girl you know and so they, yeah. and some people have guessed at two or three of them uh-huh but um it's a lot bigger than people think it is and so i i, I, I don't want to reveal it because i feel like a few years from now i can do some type of some some type of project with that but yeah I'm, that I'm is definitely, re- that's really cool really cool well, I mean, I think it helps uh, characterization-wise. Like, I mean, you may hear a, about a character in a song, and they may not even get named, but I know what they look like. I you know, there's a backstory. Yeah. There's a deep personality there. And without that, I think it's got a lot harder to make your character believable. So if I create as close as I can to a full, rich personality out of this, uh-huh. I think uh, it, it sells more. It's more sincere. People people get the character because I, I formed it fully yeah. instead of just putting a name down, you know? Yeah, they so, connect more to it. That's, yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, but, and so when people see, uh, like, we just did a music video for our song, Abby Never, and it's very interesting for me to see in the comments, oh, that's not what I pictured, Abby. I thought she had black hair. You know what I mean? That's uh-huh. interesting to me because that means that they, I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious, but they've actually formed an image yeah, it happens. in their mind of this character, and that's really cool to me to see that. Yeah, that's really neat. That's really neat. Have you ever created anything that, that you maybe you know didn't like or hated but the public loved? 
Oh, there's a few. Uh, <laughs> we, actually, we did a podcast with Paul and Storm, and we asked him the same thing a while ago, and that oh, was yeah? funny. And you kind of don't want to say because you're like, you yeah. don't want someone to go, "Oh, that's my favorite song." You don't want them. You don't. They don't want to like the song that Mike Lombardo hates. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But um, you, you don't uh, have to say what it is or anything. Well, I'll give you one example. Okay. Um, something like Caroline. Okay. Um, which is a, a really early single of ours, and that, it actually did. It was the single off the first album, and I wrote that for Song Fu, and they just said you write a happy song, uh-huh. and so I wrote. The, and it's it's so happy, it's just stupidly happy, and it it did great in the contest. Uh-huh. But I feel like if you were saying, if I were trying to, you know, show someone what I think is a good description of my my level of ability as a songwriter, of my artistic finesse, shall we say, that's not. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not going to sell someone on my songwriting abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because I'll spend weeks and weeks and weeks on a song. Like this time tomorrow on a new record, I spent three weeks on that. And it just every word was, I mean, I was just intricate. And I took forever making sure that was exactly the way I wanted it. And people go, eh, play Caroline. You know, <laughs> yeah. and Caroline I wrote in seven minutes on the back of a napkin. So it's, it's yeah. you know, that's that's interesting. Somewhat discouraging. But yeah, very, like, yeah, discouraging was what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you handle criticism? Um, well, I, I, I learned a lot about criticism at Berkeley because this is when you're sitting in a class with 20 people who are as good or very much better than you. Yes. And so, um, I'll, I'll, that's just, first of all, that situation is not for a lot of people. If your every song you write is your child and you can't part with any part of it, that's not a good situation for you. You know, because I mean, you really, I've had teachers say the course is great. The verses suck. Go, re- go rewrite them. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you got to be able to say, okay. Um, and now the other thing is you don't have to, you don't, it's your song. So if you like the verses, they're your verses, but yeah. you got to look at this guy who's had 27, you know, platinum hits in Nashville. If you <laughs> There's probably something to it. So you got to understand, um, it, it, it's, it helps to be able to look at a song objectively and understand yeah. they're not insulting you as a writer. They're just saying, I think you could do something better here, or this isn't working for me. And here's why. And, Obviously, an understanding of the mechanics of songwriting will help you understand why they're saying that and yeah. help you see they're not just putting you down as a writer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I am very open to criticism, and obviously this is a there's a lot of peers in the community. Um, it doesn't matter how many people know who you are. There are people that are great songwriters that no one knows about, and so right. if someone wants to say, "Hey, here's what I thought about your song," I'd love to hear that. And uh, if they didn't like it, they didn't like it. The the only thing that that I don't like is when People just go, this sucks. And I mean, if you're going to be respectful and we can have a conversation about writing and what you liked and what you didn't like, I that's great to me. I would love to talk about that. But if people are just going to try to flame you and just be mean and be rude, that really doesn't have a place. And I don't really give much merit to that. So That, that makes sense. You know, on, on the criticism part, I, I was thinking about that because the, the book, Writing Better Lyrics, is sitting mm-hmm. across from me right now. And uh, I, I don't remember his name that that wrote the book and Edison, teaches the class. Yeah, I, yeah. I've watched some Edison. videos. I, I've watched some videos of of him doing his thing in class with with the students and everything. And and you know they'll sit there with their guitar or whatever and they'll play. And then he'll he'll just start changing everything. And and it's like wow, you know, that must be kind of hard to have someone change around all your stuff that mm-hmm. that you've written. And you mm-hmm. have to be really open to that, and, and be be of a, a mindset. You know, you can't just like you were saying. You can't make it. Well, this is my baby. Nobody can touch it. So, right. 
Or if it is your baby, don't bring it into a songwriting class. You yeah. Know? And so the other thing that they, they said all the time was, first of all, that song that you walked in with, that's your song. You will always have that. And so when he changes all of everything around, he's not saying this is how you need to make your song. He's saying let's look at this and reasons for why I'm saying this. And so it's next time you get into this situation when you're writing, I hope you'll think of this. So he's not, it's not just to change the song. I it's, see. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's also a process critique, you know, um, like one of the critiques he had, I'll tell you about, about rock song. Uh-huh. When I, I wrote it, um, the, the, the verses end with, I'm going to be right here. And the chorus ends with, I'll be right here on my own. And Pat said, those should, those lines should be the same. Because if you're trying to drive home, you know, it's, he's a rock. He's not going anywhere. That line should repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat because he's a rock. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to me. And if I were writing the song again, you know, I would definitely, you know, give some thought to that. But the thing is, the song, you know, I, I can't change rock song now. It's been out for three years. Exactly. So, um, but it, it's not about changing rock song. It's about dealing with that situation and remember what, what Pat said. And so when I get into a similar situation... I can apply that little nugget. That you makes know, a lot of sense. About, about owning these little nuggets of songwriting. That's that's what the concept is. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And the stuff he comes up with is just genius. It's just, you know, it's just it's 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 plain and simple. You know, it seems like oh well that how come I didn't figure that out? But it's just genius. The stuff he would come up with that I that I've seen on those videos. It's really good stuff. Yeah, I mean he's he. I mean, obviously, first of all, hugely successful. Yeah. Um, and also, he's objective. He he didn't write the song, so he can hold it up and really look at it from an angle that the songwriter can't. And I've seen I've been in class where he someone will put their lyrics up on the screen, and he'll he'll look at it and he'll delete one line or he'll he'll move one verse, and everyone in the room will just go, oh, like they'll just see it, and it's something will click. And he has this ability to just a lot of times all the parts are there. I mean, order is just as important as content. Yeah, and so. He'll 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 change maybe even changing changing the tense of a song or going uh-huh. from third person to first person can have a huge huge effect on on the song and so I've seen him make little tiny tweaks like that yeah and and the song just explodes and so you know that there's a very talented writer at the base of this they just you know um, he's trying to remove all those roadblocks and bottlenecks and help them get the most out of their inspiration basically yeah it seems like it was uh, John Mayer I think he was talking to uh, a Berkeley class and saying something like. Someone told him he was the captain of obvious or something like that. You the know? master of duh. Yeah, I yeah, was, I was actually that's what there. I, oh, were you really? I think that's on YouTube. I was in the audience for that. Yeah, that was funny <laughs> because um, a lot of people know that John went to Berkeley for a little while. Yeah, and so he likes to come back and hang out because he said, you know, being on the road constantly as he is, one of the biggest touring acts right now. You know. Um, he said you get really out of touch with people, and it's just you see the inside of a bus all the time. Yeah. And so he wanted to come back and be around artists and be around musicians and songwriters, and, and that helps him kind of get back in touch with his inspiration, which coming from John Mayer is an enormous compliment to the people that are at the school. Um, but, yeah, he came in, and, and he did that clinic, and he said someone called him the master of duh, yeah. and that's because he's so unassuming that, if you look at his songs, I mean, he has these really beautiful, com- complex songs, but sometimes he'll take one little nugget of idea and spin it out into three minutes. And that's the, the mark of a true writer, is when they can get three minutes out of one line or something like that. And he also took a few of uh, my friends into our recording studios and produced songs for them, which is wild. Please. 
And so I've got three or four buddies that have like a song on their MySpace, like featuring John Mayer on guitar, which, which I is I saw nuts. one of those and I yeah. was going, what, what's going on here? And how did that happen? And, and who's this guy he's playing with? You right. know, that's pretty cool. I was wondering yeah. what that was all about. Yeah. It's, and it's because he's so not into himself as look how much he knows that he can't go into Berkeley and say, look how much better I am than all of you. Right. Look how much more talented I am. Because that may very well not be true. I mean, he was there 10 years ago. Right. And the people that are there are the best in the world. So he really looks at the, the students there as peers. And I really felt that respect coming from him when he stood for hours and talked to everyone after. I mean, because he knew that it wasn't just his fans at a concert. He knew that he was really among peers and yeah. other artists. That's really and, cool. Yeah. That's really so cool. So he could really let that go yeah that's that's really really cool that he does that that's you know it's kind of like the uh you ever met someone that's like really 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 wealthy and and talk to him you know by talking to him that they they've forgotten what it's like to to starve you know and be poor you know they yeah i mean i've been in that situation and i've also been in a situation with someone who has ridiculous amount of money and doesn't care you yeah know? it's just um really really gracious uh you know uh sam ash of the sam ash music company i'm sure you've you've heard of them uh -huh. at some point um i had dinner with him because his son ben is, is a good friend of mine uh -huh. and i mean the, these are i mean millions and millions of dollars yeah these people have an enormous amount of money and own an enormous amount of of capital and he was the coolest most down-to-earth guy and we're all like oh we're, we got to dress up we were like really yeah. nervous and, yeah. and we just <laughs> talked and we just had it we're laughing you're telling all these it was just it was the, it was just like being at a bar with some buddies it was so cool and that's cool that that really you know that's that's always encouraging to just hear that everyone out there is on out to get you yeah you know that's really cool what do you have loaded up on your ipod right now if you have an ipod well i actually don't have an ipod okay um I've got a, I, I, it's, it sounds weird, but I don't listen to a lot of music very frequently okay because um i found that it's harder to um, hear your, you know, your, your little inner voice, songwriter voice is sometimes very quiet. And so I, I, I can't drown it out with stuff all the time where all those little song ideas get muted yeah. and covered up. And so I got to give my, my brain some quiet time to, to do its thing. And it sounds really artsy fartsy, but it's true. I mean, if you bombard your stuff with, with external stimuli all day. That makes you, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Your ears just get tired. But uh, I, I do have some stuff on my droid that I listen to. Um, I've got. I only have a few albums. I've got uh, Mike Jones's new album. Who's a, he's a jazz pianist. We actually had him on our show last night. Uh -huh. He's a Penn and Teller's musical director. Oh, cool! And, yeah, he's awesome. And uh, his new album's out, and it's a free download on JonesJazz.com. And I've got that on here, and it's really, really fantastic. If you if you like jazz piano, that's it's it's, it's great. Um, I've got some Paul and Storm stuff. I've got uh, my buddy Michael Greenberg's record on here, which is. Easily one of my favorite records ever. Um, he's a he's a singer songwriter, friend of mine from Berkeley, and he's one of the most talented dudes I've ever ever come in contact with. And his album, I've heard it hundreds of times, and I still listen to it. So I've got that. I've got um, a few tracks off the new Ben Folds Nick Hornby collaboration album, which if you're into storytelling, that's a great great thing to check out uh -huh. um, because Nick Hornby wrote all the lyrics and Ben made it made a deal. He wouldn't change any lyrics. He would just set them to music, which as a songwriter is very, very difficult. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, so he, uh, I've got some of that. I've got a Tim Mitchin album ready for this a great comedy music, um, player pianist from Australia. And I've got, um, 
I've got some of my own stuff just because a lot of times people want to hear it. Um, you know, they'll say, oh, let me hear your thing. And also, um, the, the practical reason for having my own stuff is because I work for a sound and light production company uh-huh. part-time. And we do sometimes do very big shows, and I'm, I'm their go-to sound guy. So if we've got a sound system that I haven't mixed on before that, you know, we have 10,000 people coming into a show, I need to get those speakers um, locked in. And I know exactly what my material sounds like because I mixed it myself. That and makes so sense. If I can play it over those speakers, that's a reference. And I can instantly hear if it's stuffy or if there's not enough bass, you know, because I, I know those recordings so well. So... Yeah. Um, so that's why I have that on my phone because when I'm mixing a show, and I've got um, Alan the stuff going, Luke Connard's new album, Erase This, on there too. So that's, I mean, it's not a lot, but uh, you know, it's it's more utility, really. Yeah, that's that's cool. Do you do you write all the time? Do you are you just like in? I mean, some artists they they have a deal where you know they'll tour and then they'll lay off and and then that's when they'll write. Are you are you writing all the time or are you writing? different periods of the year or how does that work for you or just whenever it happens yeah i mean um i i i, I try not to force things when i don't have ideas uh-huh. because that you in, invariably end up going back and rewriting that anyway to make it better mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time if you go four or five months without any ideas you know you start going okay time to you know, <laughs> take some action here so um i'd say i try to balance it i try to Make sure that when I do have ideas, I think about them. And a, a lot of actually, a lot of my writing doesn't take place in front of a piano. It's just, you know, since it's so story based, a lot of it is just thinking about characters and brainstorming and and developing that. And then I start, you can, I can start working on hooks and progressions and that type of thing in my head. And then I need to sit down at the piano and and, and lock it in, really. But um, so I'm kind of kicking some ideas around pretty constantly. Uh-huh. But um, as far as putting out new stuff, I'll, I'll do maybe three or four new songs in a month that I'll write. Not not produce and record and release, just I'll write them, and then I'll go a month or so without doing them. Uh-huh. But uh, I try to release things pretty regularly, so it at least gives the illusion that I'm constantly producing content. But uh-huh. I don't know any songwriter that is capable of just constantly doing that, because right. that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Do you have any songs that you've written that you haven't released? For one reason uh, or another, yeah, I've got, um, I've got a few. I mean, I know a lot of people who who only release ten percent or so of what they write, and I don't do that. I would say I release the majority of what I write. Okay, uh, but I've got some songs that I've written and either forgotten about, or I just know that they're not where they need to be. And often, what happens is I'll identify one of them will have a really strong chorus. And the verses will be crap or something like that. And so, you know, a year later, sometimes I've got these great verses and I go, man, I need a chorus. And I can go back and kind of look at the stuff that I've written and filter out what's bad and look at what's still good. And a lot of times I'll put that together and say, here's the chorus that that song needed, you know, and the other one really wasn't coming together. So um, that's why I don't tend to release stuff unless I'm really stoked on it, because a lot of times I'll I'll swap part of it out to make it better. But um, there are a few that um, that I I just play to listen to really uh-huh. and also i was in a band in high school and you know that's not i'm not sure if that's on the internet anywhere that's before i was doing the internet thing so a lot of those songs just aren't very good <laughs> you know so um i i i don't play those i don't release those i don't even i don't even want to say the band name on the internet because i don't want someone to go try to find <laughs> it because it's, it's it's really not good but um a lot of times i'll play those just just because you know that was a cool time in my life being in a rock band, and and uh, those those songs are fun to revisit. But as far as being a professional songwriter, they're really not not where they need to be. Uh huh. Do you have a favorite song that you've written? That's a good question. I um, I, I tend to 
I tend to uh, really, you know, it depends on my mood. Um, I, I really like That'll Be the Day. It, as far as it came out how I wanted it to come out, um, I wrote a version of it first, and it it was like okay, but it, you know, I think it made its point, but it wasn't making the point that I wanted to make with the song. Uh-huh. And so I I just kind of waited on it, and then I rewrote all the lyrics, and then it came together, and I think it's it's got a nice message too now. And I really like Locked Out because um, that was an interesting one for me because I'm writing from a character that I really can't connect with. Okay. Um, He's a he's a middle aged guy who gets locked out of his house, and he's really kind of got his priorities really out of order, and uh-huh. he's kind of worried about money, and he realizes he's neglecting his family, and so that's that's hard for me to to make that guy believable. Uh-huh. Um, but I had I had some older listeners who were you know middle aged fifty sixty write in and say I connect with this dude. So that's cool. That that is cool. But you know I kind of I knew it's 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 short, it's simple, it makes its point, it doesn't overstay its welcome. So that one is one where you get this idea, you write the song, and you're like, okay, you know that that <laughs> was what I want. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So it wasn't a battle, which is nice because sometimes you're just like ah, get in there. You know they 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 don't really do what you want them to at first. So yeah, I would say those two are are, are definitely uh, towards the top of my list. That's cool. Do you what do you think you sacrifice to be good at your craft? Uh, friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I just mean, you know, if it, it, it's not the popular position, hey, you want to come out and play baseball? No, I'm going to practice piano for three right. hours when you're when you're 12. Yeah. You know, and I really never had this attraction to going out and playing with a big group of people. Yeah. Um, I, I really would be quite happy by myself watching a concert DVD or I watched I watched the crap out of Paul McCartney concerts when I was little uh-huh. constantly. Um, but I mean, obviously, every every hour that you spend working on on music is an hour that you're not out doing something with your buddies yeah so and i'm okay with that because i i prefer small groups and being being alone anyway but um you know and and obviously there's 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 a self-discipline where you're like man i really want to watch family guy tonight or whatever but you can't because you know you got stuff to do yeah so in that case it's just like having a regular job except for you don't have office hours so it takes a lot more (laughs) self-discipline To say no, I got to mix these things because they're due. I mean, when you when you got to be at the office from nine to five, you know that's what you're doing. Yeah. But when you're at home and any time is 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 work time, really, it, it you got to really stay on yourself to not just watch movies all day. Yeah. And you know, because it's hard because your bedroom, my bedroom is is also my office, uh-huh. so it's easy to get sidetracked. Yeah. So I'd say the biggest thing is is staying on task and keeping myself disciplined as far as, you know, I know you're at home and I know you've got this great movie collection here that you really want to watch <laughs> right now, but you got to send these emails out or you got to redo this website, you know, it's that stuff and that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the touring uh aspect of it, what's the most unusual place you've ever played at? Oh man, um we we played at the I don't know how we got the gig, but Baltimore Music Fest called us and said, you guys want to play? And we were like, yeah. And uh, Baltimore, first of all, is not a good all-ages city. And obviously, I try to do all-ages shows because the majority of my fans are like 13 to 18. Uh-huh. So I try to not take 18-plus or 21-plus gigs because, one, it, it kills our draw. And also, I, I, a lot of the fans, understandably, feel feel very alienated. And that's very disappointing when you're told that you're too young to go to yeah. a concert. Um, so I try not to do that. But this was a you know, a closed-off event, and they said, you want to play? And it's one of those things where they just get about 12 bars in the city, and they say, these are the venues, mm-hmm. and then they just book, like, 200 bands into these bars, and people come and drink and listen to the music, and that that's the music fest. Right. And so uh, we were in this little bar in Baltimore, and we probably had, like, a, a, a six-by-four area to play on. I mean, it was tiny. Yeah. We were in this, in this corner right by the door, 
So whenever someone opened the door, we had to like watch out for that. <laughs> and, and I play a piano, which takes up a little more yeah. room than, than having a guitar. Yeah. And um, so my drummer is in the corner with like a kick, a snare, and a hi hat. Like that's what he had. <laughs> he had no room for a kit. And I had my keyboard. My keyboard's like over his drums. Like we had no room. My bass player just she was like screw it, and she ended up just grabbing a bar stool <laughs> and just just sitting on that and playing and. That was one of those gigs because my music in particular is not doesn't really work well in a bar. You really it takes kind of active listening. Yes. And so I think that's why a lot of the kids like it because they they you know they need to be paying. That's what kids pay attention to. They really focus on that stuff. And a lot of adults that listen critically to music really like it. But if you're going to you know drink with your buddies, I'm not the best choice for that. And so um, it it was a struggle to get those people to pay us the attention that we needed to make the songs work. Yeah. Really. And to be high energy and engaging with people who did not come to see you. Yeah. You know? That and so when they, when, when they say Mike Lombardo's coming to this venue, people go because they want to see Mike Lombardo. Versus, here's a bar. Let's go have a good time at this bar. Yeah. That's that's much harder crowd. And so that was a struggle for me. But uh, also, spatially, I was really... It's hard to get in your zone when uh-huh. you're looking out for you know, <laughs> waitresses and doors and stuff. And so that's just... As a performer, that's really distracting. Yeah. So... Um, that one was a challenge. I remember that in, in particular. It was a, definitely a big challenge. <laughs> That's fun. Fun. How did you meet your band? Um, I met my drummer Andy through a mutual friend of ours. Was uh, he? He, play, he plays like these like nine minute like dream theater death metal symphony <laughs> things. Yeah, and he's really good. And he said, "Hey, dude, I'm I'm holding auditions for my band. We try out." And he wanted a synth player, and I don't I don't play synth very well. I, I play piano. Uh-huh. They're, they're completely different instruments. And I uh, said. You know, I, I was like, dude, this is not my thing. But, you know, he's a buddy of mine. I said, I'd, I'd do it anyway. I said, I'll try out, you know, just to make you happy. You're not going to want me, but I'll try out. So I go to the audition, and uh, I'm, I'm just I'm sucking. It's just horrible. And uh, the drummer there, it was Andy. And I didn't know that. I just met him then. And he was also not doing too hot because, uh-huh. again, it's really not his style. And so the thing is, when a lot of these players, once they get to this level um, – they get pretty specialized. They get really, really, really good at playing a certain type of music. And if you're not in that vein, it's a much more of a challenge. And so uh, it was it was tough. And we both left like, well, that, that that sucked. You know, like we both knew that it was awful. And so we were talking to each other. And he goes, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I, you know, I play play piano, I write some songs. And he goes, oh, you want to start a band? And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, so that was that, you know. And then we got together and started playing. Um, and he heard... The first song we worked on was Goodnight Bright Eyes, which is one of my oldest songs. And I played him like the first 10 seconds of uh-huh. that. And he heard that bass line and he was like, I'm in. This is cool. <laughs> so, uh, and there's an interview where he says that. But um, yeah, so we started playing a few of my songs. And I give him credit because I was not as developed of a writer at that time. And so he kind of, it's like a, a good producer when they find these up and coming acts. They have to be able to look through the rough and find the diamond inside, you know? Uh-huh. So I mean, he, he, I think I give him credit for seeing that I had more potential than I had at that point. And, um, we had a few songs, and then we booked a, a show at Berkeley, and we were like, "Oh, we need a bass player." And we had played with a few guys who were really good. They just weren't 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 jamming with what we really needed. You know, it's it, a lot of times everyone everyone at Berkeley is good. It's just a stylistic vibe thing, uh-huh. really, about who's who's appropriate for the gig. And so we called my friend Ellen, who I I, I knew from a, a church gig that I had, uh-huh. and she's a guitar player. 
but he said, "Hey, Elle, you want to you want to play some bass just for this show because we need one." And she goes, "Okay." And then uh, it's like the guy from Office Space where they fire him and he keeps coming. That's <laughs> yeah. what we just she just kept coming to practice, and so she was the bass player up until very recently. And uh, you know, she just graduated from Berkeley um, this 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 year, and she's just doing a bunch of stuff. She's got all these gigs, and she's full time music director somewhere. And so you know, it, we didn't kick her out, and she didn't quit. It just you know, we went in different directions, and she just had a bunch of stuff to do, and she really couldn't give the project the time that that we needed. Yeah. So, um, another friend of ours, actually a friend of Andy's from Berkeley, Alex Smith, he um, actually lives in the same town as Andy, so that's how they knew each other. But um, it was actually funny because Andy was coming up to to where I live to do this to studio drum tracks for our new record, and he goes, "Hey, I'm bringing my buddy," and I go. All right. And so he showed up and that was it, you know, and he was like, we're like, okay, you're good. So he threw down the guitar tracks and Ellen actually still played on that album from Boston. She just, we sent her the tracks and she played bass and sent them back, which is nice, really really cool. But, um, you know, then Alex was obviously who we called to do the tour, but I never auditioned him or, uh, you know, anything. And he just brought him. So that was funny. But, um, you know, again, Andy, I trust Andy enough that he knows my music. He knows how I write. He knows how my stage show goes. He knows that he knows me as an artist yeah and he knew that that alex would be a good fit and i think he knew that you know he wouldn't have brought him if if he didn't think that he could do it so so i, I have a, a large amount of trust in, in andy as far as as that stuff goes that's that's funny so so with touring do you like touring i mean is it is it something that you look forward to i'm you know i know you're not not looking forward to the the grueling part of it but uh you like getting out there and playing with you know in front of all those people yeah, I mean, and I know it's people go, oh, listen to him, he's a rock star, he's bitching about it, but <laughs> it, it, it really is grueling to drive 10 hours or 12 hours, and yeah. you're delirious by that point, and a lot of times we're, we're driving from a show, so it's like 4 in the morning, we're starting a 10-hour drive, yeah. um, and and you're in a van with a bunch of people, and it doesn't matter how much you like those people, when you sit in a van with them for two weeks... They're going to get on your nerves, Exactly, yeah. it happens, Um and and just it, it's very very expensive. It, it's thousands of dollars a week, and you're lucky if you make it back or make a little bit of money. Um, and it's it, we don't have roadies yet. We don't have tour managers yet. So we're doing everything ourselves. And we like fighting about who wants to get out and put gas in the van at three a.m. <laughs> you know, we're all in our pajamas in the van. Yeah. And so that is is really really it, it's it's mentally and physically very exhausting on you after a while. But, um, I mean, obviously, if it wasn't worth it, we wouldn't do it. I love sure. getting up and playing in front of the, the people that, that really they, they want to hear us. Yeah. And, and that is so cool that people – I mean, I'm still blown away. I, I remember when I sold my first MP3, but I'm still blown away that people want to hear me play music. That is so cool to me. And I love it, and I love getting up there and playing. And now, you know, I remember the first time I was playing and people knew the words to my songs. And I like <laughs> that – it stopped me dead in my tracks for a second. That's just so cool to me. And I love it. It's I, I absolutely live for it. Um, a lot of artists will tour because they have to promote a record, but I really release records so I can tour on them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I, I love that. And that's so cool. And that's when you're like, ah, oh, you feel like crap and you're tired and you're exhausted and you want to sleep. And then you'll meet a kid who goes, you know, uh, I mean, I've literally had people say, say things like, I was going to kill myself and then oh my I gosh. heard music and then I didn't kill myself. Wow. And that is flooring. You know, that that's absolutely mind-blowing yeah. for people to say. I mean, that's an extreme case, but I get... People you know, along that vein where they say they tell you how much this three minute song that you wrote on a napkin really means to them. Yeah. And that is that is I mean, that makes it all worth it at that point. I mean it sounds really cliche, but it I mean it's so cool. So I'm very, very lucky to to get that. And I like touring because it gives me that FaceTime with the fans to get that direct feedback, which yeah. is 
that's when you go, okay, that's why I do this, you know? That's really cool. So how do you, how do you guys decide where you're going to tour? Like what cities to book? And um, Well, uh, a lot of it is, especially very early on when we're touring, it's, okay, who lives here that we can sleep with? Because you may only make $100 <laughs> a night, so if you're getting a hotel, yeah. you're, you're back to zero. So a lot of, I mean, cost does, does factor in a lot. Yeah. Um, I also use eventful.com, which basically allows fans to go on and say, I want Michael Barter to play here, huh? and it records it records where they live. And so basically I can log on and look at a map and see if two people want me in Wisconsin and 36 people want me in L.A., obviously I know where I should be playing and where I shouldn't. Yeah. And so that factors into it a lot. A lot of it is just towns that, that we've played before. That Like the first time we played Indy, we had two people, three people, Andy's uh-huh. mom. Uh-huh. Then we played again, we had eight people uh-huh. we just played it this year we we filled the room 26 people wow and now we're going back with this tour yeah. and i'm expecting it's going to be 50 or 60 it's going to be big uh-huh. and so you know you know where people will come to see you where you're developing that philly philly's a great i only played philly once in my life we played it last last june and the room was full and uh-huh. it's a coffee house so i was like maybe these people are here and i actually got on stage and said um who who came to see us and everyone raised their hand that's cool and i was like wow because you know, that's your worst nightmare as a musician is when you go to the show and no one's there. Yeah. And that, wow, these people, you know, we were like, oh, cool. We were very pleasantly surprised. So Philly's big, Boston's big. We know what cities we can pull and what cities we can't. And we just hope to, you know, expand upon that as more people find out what we're doing and we play more and more and, and it gets out there more. You know, it just grows. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, do you have a musician that you'd like to work with someday? Um. I mean, most of my friends are, that no one knows of are the most talented people in the world. And I, like Michael Greenberg and Dylan Galvin, these people that no one know are just monsters. And I love playing with them. Um, I, 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 I kind of, I wouldn't assume to work with Paul McCartney, but I would love to hang out with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Because, I mean, first of all, you don't get more success. He's the most successful musician of all time, according to Guinness Book of World Records. He's just huge and about as famous as you can get and about as successful as you can get. And... One of the coolest dudes ever. So um, I would love to to at least talk with Paul McCartney. Eric Clapton would be cool. Um, Paul and Storm, I, I kind of get to. I've done. I've actually done some work with them, but they're always a pleasure. Um, and I, I really look up to them in a lot of ways. They're they're really cool. And when I was first starting out, I was emailing them, going, "Okay, you know, how much of your money comes from T-shirts? How much comes from <laughs> just, just just things? You know, as an indie." Artist, these are important, you know, yeah. things to know. And so they really put up with a lot of crap for me. And, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm always happy when I get to work with them. And I did a track with them and Jonathan last year, and that was fun. So, um, I, I, you know, it's, again, another side effect of this Internet thing is that the people that you, that you look up to are also your friends a lot. Yeah. You know, and because people, Jonathan Colton is not inaccessible at all. Right. And so that's that's a relatively recent phenomenon where you get to hang out with these people that you look up to. But, I mean, all the people in the community are great. So, yeah, those would be my big ones, I would say. Do you think that you'll be able to play Wootstock at some point? Or, you know, if there's plans for that? or? Um, I, I can't say too much. I will say, um, actually, last time we toured in Chicago in June, Wootstock was playing the day after we were. Uh-huh. And so... Um, their their drummer Jason Finn said I forgot my bass pedal and we were like hey we got a bass pedal and he's he's the drummer from the President of the United States of America and so Andy was really excited and I said hey dude will you let the drummer from the President of the United States of America use your bass pedal he was like yes so uh, so we went over there and Paul was like yeah come on down and um, so you know Andy got to talk to him and he thought that was cool and um, 
Paul just had me on hands. You know, Storm needs a new battery for his guitar. Can you can you find a nine volt battery? You know, just just little stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and Paul knows that I tour and I do this and I work in a studio and I do live shows for a living. So um, basically, he knows that it's just you know I know what's going on and so I can get him what he needs with a little less struggle than maybe someone who wasn't in the industry. Um, so Paul kind of had me on hand, just helping me out. But I did get to sit in the drink and eat pizza, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but I just got an email from Paul today, actually. They're doing New York and Boston at the end of the month, right after I get back from tour. And they're like, hey, can we hire you to, you know, just be on hand and, and help out with stuff? And I was well, like, absolutely. That's you know? cool. Um, and and it's there are just kind of bubbling under the surface, me being able to sit in on, on Paul and Storm's set for a song. Um, that's it's, great. It's not, I don't want to say anything, but um, sure. Paul, Paul, you know, suggested that we might be able to talk it out. That's so. awesome. Um, do, you, do you know how long they are planning on doing Woodstock? I mean, is it going to be like a a yearly deal? Or um, I know they started they started in L.A. and the first one was really small, but it it became so big that they had to add a second night. And um, it's really getting big. The first one was like they had you know 150 people, 200 people, and now they're selling out 700 people, 800 people. Wow! And I've also watched the ticket price go from 15 bucks a head to 50 bucks a head, which is a legitimate big yeah, show yeah you know the venue they're playing louis ck just played so wow i mean they're, they're really getting this huge level of national attention especially with will wheaton and adam savage those are big big names yeah so um I, I know that that's that's they're doing very well with that you know obviously financially they're able to keep doing it so yeah. a lot to, for the entertainment business so I, as far as i know that's kind of what they're throwing their weight behind for the uh-huh. foreseeable future um the, this is the first time they're coming to the east coast but they've been doing a lot of stuff on the west coast and uh they're working on more. So as far as I know, that's kind of their their current project. Just to so keep it going. I think that'll continue because it's it's really gaining a lot of momentum. Yeah, I think that's really great. Really great. What yeah. do you what do you think the sudden uprising of uh the geek type music is attributed to? Um, I think people need like I mean, twenty years ago geek was an insult. Right. And I think people need geeks now because th- there's basically no industry, very few industries that you don't have computers and phones and pagers and wireless internet. And these are things that we need. And these are things that if they stop working, work stops happening very quickly. Right. So I think that the IT guy is now, he holds a lot more power, you yeah. know? And so um, I think that there's there's more like value about this job and people are taking pride in this job because they know how important it is and so that kind of leads to that and then you get MC Front a lot and Jonathan Colton coming out yeah you know 4 or 5 years ago and that really gives it a huge boost i think i think i think looking back people are really going to um see that Jonathan really gave a huge 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 push he did so much for the industry i don't think people realize that yet but um yeah i mean i think it's i think it's societal value i think people need technologically inclined people now yeah. You know? Yeah. Last question. Tell me a secret. Tell you a secret. Um, okay. I, I routinely enjoy um, scrambled eggs with jelly on them. That <laughs> That's awesome. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the MacMufasa.com interview series. Thank you for listening. If you want to check out Mike, you can check his website out on MikeLombardoMusic.com. And you can check out other interviews and my music at MacMufasa.com. Thanks for listening.